We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. At Sport Clips Haircuts, they hairdo like no one else hair does. That's because not only is it the home of the champion haircuts, but they also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. With the MVP haircut experience, your haircut gets turned up a notch. That's because the MVP is more than just a haircut. It's a spa day for your hair follicles. It's a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on TV. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. Hey, it's Big J Okerson and Dan Soder. Welcome to the Bonfire Podcast. We'll have new episodes every morning, Tuesday through Friday. If you want more Bonfire, you can hear our full show every day on SiriusXM. You can go to SiriusXM.com slash Bonfire for a special three-month offer. The Bonfire. Hosting the Felix Organization's Walk This Way during National Foster Care Month on May 9th in New York City, it is the legendary Daryl DMC McDaniels. Daryl, what's up, man? What's happening? How y'all doing? What's going it's on? It's good. Me and Dan were uh, Dan here's uh, my co-host, and we were both reflecting on. Um, bring us back full screen, Christine. We were both. Uh, yes, I'm lost. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there we go. Hey. Me and What's Dan, up, Dan? Uh, we What's were both on? discussing that we had met you before, um, and I said, "You, I, I don't know if you recall uh, me, but you came on my SDR show podcast with Ralph Sutton, and we had yes. a rap off, and yes, we had a we rap did. battle, and you judged it, and you yep. judged correctly, my friend. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. That was, what, like two years ago, right? Yeah. Yeah, and everyone was still inside. Uh, or yeah, ready, I remember Being that. able to go places. That and then if you recall, we said Ralph did a funny thing. He did a really shitty rap the first time, and then right. I did mine, and then he was like, oh, I didn't know we were supposed to be right. mean that like that. Right, that wasn't fair, right. That was it. No, and then he, messed and then up. He, and then he did a second one that was way better than his first one, but I already yeah. won. It was too you late. won. I remember that day, so he, So, yeah, just to remember, he had two in the pocket, yes. thinking that he was going to have diff- multiple rounds, and it was just one round. Yeah, yep. there's, not, there's nothing sadder than a, a, a white guy who used to break dance, who now is too old to break dance, and now he's trying to write raps. <laughs> now he's trying to write raps, yeah. I That's my Ralph that Sutton. That was crazy. That was that is, crazy. Uh, it is great to have you here on the show. So, yeah, it's been a while, man. And we uh, we got yeah. so excited to have you on. Christine over here, uh, the producer on the show, who hey, I think spoke to already. Christine is, was super excited about this uh, foundation you guys started it's pretty amazing here and we were reflecting on yeah. how many it's surprising how many people we know who grew up in the foster care system and it's not always great stories no it's it's a lot it's a lot there's a lot of horrible tragic stories yeah but the ones that we do know shows the resilience and shows the 
the purpose and abilities and capabilities of these individuals. So it's up to those individuals. It's up to all individuals who's been through something crazy, made it through, survived, walked the walk, talked the talk, learned a lesson, had a bad experience, because I realized you sharing your bad experiences has more power than you sharing things about your life when things are going well. And I found that out because I found out that I was adopted when I was 35 years old. Yeah. Which yeah. was, well, was, was crazy. Did, yeah. did you have any suspicion? Did you have any suspicion before 35 that you were adopted? No, I didn't. I mean, I you heard my records. My whole career was robbing about my family. Yeah. There was no there was no way in the world that I didn't think I was a McDaniels. You know, son of Byford, brother of Al. Banners my mother and runs my pal. It's McDaniels, not McDonald's. These Rams are Daryls, those burgers are Ronald's. I ran down my family tree, my mother, my father, my brother, and me. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. While other rappers was rhyming about gang banging and, and having sex and selling drugs and shooting, I'm rhyming about Christmas times and Adidas and bike. By the way, every, so. every other day of the show, DJ Lou can't wait to start beatboxing. All of a sudden today, he clams up. But <laughs> that's that. the second you find out you're adopted, does that verse yeah. pop in your head where you're like, I wrote yes. this verse about my family? Yes. Son of a... Like, like everything, all of that, like when I found out that I was adopted, they say when you die, you see a life flash in front of you. So when I found that out, that's what happened to me. And it just, everything that, every Christmas, every, I went to Catholic school my whole life. Like my mother, every school I went to, my mother and father worked to pay for me to go. Yeah. I thought about Christmas time and like I had the best life as a kid and then after I found out I was adopted, it didn't end there because then I found out that I was a foster kid. My mother and father brought me home when I was a month old. And there was cousins that um I had in and out my house. Um, they officially adopted me when I was five years old. So from a month old to five years old, there was always other cousins like Oscar, this little girl named Letitia that disappeared. Yeah, And I was always trying to, I never saw them again. I mean, my cousins like Robin and Donnie and Derek and Samantha, Heath, Craig, Sharonda, all of them stayed around. But there was always these other cousins that would disappear. And, you know, when I met other adoptees and foster kids, it was like, D, the mothers and fathers came back to get them. So I was one of those foster kids that my parents, I wasn't able to go back to my rich, my birth parents. Okay. So thank God, Bife and Abana said, oh, what are we going to do with this one? You know, it's, it's, it's yeah. that. And, and my you... dad was like, we're going to keep him. Maybe he'll be great one day. Yeah. And when, look, you found, when you found out at 35, did you have any moment that goes, That's, I don't look like any of these motherfuckers. Yeah. I don't look like anybody else oh, in this family. Yeah. But the only reason that never came up to me, my cousin, I had two cousins that were very close growing up. My mother's two brothers, Uncle Ronnie and Uncle Griffin. Uncle Ronnie had fraternal twins, Derek and Samantha. And Derek was dark like everybody in my family, but Samantha was light-skinned like me. And then same thing for Uncle Griffin. Um, Robin, my younger cousin, was dark like Uncle Griffin. But then Donnie, my older cousin, who was my brother's age, my brother, my adopted brother's age, um, he was my, I mean, Donnie looked just like me. So by having that in my family, there was no, I would say this is just how it be because, you know, my father looks like Bill Cosby. 
Yeah. My brother looks like Eddie Murphy, and my mother, she could pass for, you know, Mrs. Huxtable. But just by having those, and uh, also my cousin Craig and my cousin um, Rhonda, they were all light-skinned like me. So just by having that, those diverse little elements in the mixture of my, my, my mother and father's blood families, there was no, and plus they treated me like everybody else. Yeah, so, so there's you, no way. Was but, there? But the revelation there, came, I was like, that's why. <laughs> uh, Daryl, did you, was there family influence? Because I know, when we've talked before even that and it's very well known actually that you're like a, like a metal head you love metal music and rock music uh right. even before you started uh with run DMC. yeah i hate it i hated soul music i cared nothing about afros and say it loud i'm black and i'm proud <laughs> none of that like i was, I was there, look there must have been something wrong with me but in a good way because i didn't care about the jackson five i hated dashikis and afros <laughs> and all of that but my generation, when I was growing up, it was 70s rock radio. The 70s rock radio, I mean, you know, you had Sly and the Family Stone, you had Al Green, Marvin Gaye, James Brown, Jimi Hendrix, but you also had Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan and Proko Harron and um, um, Jim, Cro- Jim Croce, Harry Chapin, um, Cross yeah, Stills, Young Harry and Nash. Chapin. So remember Harry Chapin? So when I yep. was a little kid, all I cared about was comic books. Like, yeah. Comic books was the only thing that I could relate to in this universe here because in the comic books, it was the only place where I saw smart, nerdy dudes who was powerful. You know, yeah. Peter Parker, yeah. um, 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 Reed Richards, Tony Starks. But growing up in Hollis, if you wasn't in a gang, if you wasn't selling drugs, and if you ain't had, excuse my language, bitches and hoes and all of that going on, nobody cared about you. So the comic books was my safety my world, my coping mechanism. So then when hip hop comes over the bridge, hip hop for me was like, yo, you know, I could do what Neil Young does. I could do what Bob Dylan does. So that's why I started writing rhymes about who I was. But even, you know, eventually when I found out that I was adopted, um, I was an alcoholic, suicide, a metaphysical wreck who was about to jump off a bridge that before he jumped, found out that he was adopted. So imagine all those emotions and stuff like that. So how I went you, to, How did uh, you find, how did that actually happen? How did you find out? Like, who told you? Who came? All right. So, to, to, well, um, in, in 1993, um, Pete Rock, one of the greatest producers in hip hop, um, he produced a song for Run DMC's 93 album called Down With The King. I know you'll remember that. So I'll wrap down, the whole thing for you right now, front yeah. to back. <laughs> so down, down with the King did for Run DMC what people say Run DMC's Walk This Way did for Aerosmith. It brought us back. Because remember, in 93, hip-hop was changed. We were, you know, we were respected, but we was the OGs. Because, you know, you had Eric B. and Rock and Beastie Boys, Cypress Hill. Hip-hop exploded on its whole other level. So Down with the King brings us back. In the 90s, we get in... You know, in the 80s, we was getting 200,000. Now, in the 90s, we get the 90s hip-hop paydays. We yeah. opening up we opening up for Marilyn Manson. We opening up for Lip Biscuit. We opening up for ZZ Top. We opening up for Naughty by Nature and Tribe Called Quest. We opening up on the, um, the Chronic Tour. So as soon as all of this happened, y'all, I woke up the next day saying, I want to kill myself. <laughs> I, I didn't know what it was. So it was yeah. that void. It was that void of not knowing there's more to DMC, the King of Rock. So basically what happened, what had happened was I was going to kill myself. But before I, before I killed myself, I said, I want to write a book. 
so I can let people know. Everybody knows about the DMC guy, but they need to know about Darryl McDaniels. So this is how I found out that I call my mother up and I go, Mom, I'm writing a book. And just to make it more interesting for the reader, I need to know three things about my birthday because I knew I was born May 31st, 1964. So I said, how much do I weigh? What time I was born? What hospital? She told me those three things. I love you, son. I love you too, mom. I hung up the phone. An hour goes by. The phone rings. It's my mother and my father. They go, we have something else to tell you about your birth. And I'm thinking it was going to be like, well, when we gave birth to you, there was a power outage in the hospital and we gave birth to you by candlelight or something like that. Or there was a snowstorm or it was a blizzard. They hit me with this. Well, you was a month old when we brought you home and you're adopted, but we love you. Bye. Click. Wow. Yeah. They really just ripped the Band-Aid, huh? <laughs> they were like, yeah, they, they, heads they up. hung up right away, too, like process that. Yeah, bye. Yeah, yeah. Yes, bye. Like, because they were scared. They, they, yeah. It was a secret that they were holding in their life. So when I found that out, I was really going to kill myself because, like you said, I was like, all of those rhymes didn't mean anything. I was just, but then a peace came over me. And I thought about how great Byford and Banner was to me as my mother and father. I thought about I had the coolest brother ever. If yeah. it wasn't for them, I would have never met Run and Jay. There would be no hip hop. So something in me said, okay, I can feel down and out like everything is going wrong. Or I can set an example for other kids or other people in my situation. So instead of um, killing myself and, and continuing um, down the catechisms of depression and alcoholism. I said, I'm going to straighten my life out. I'm going to go get clean and sober, and I'm going to share my story so I can touch people who feel like me. Because, yeah. you know, I noticed with all those kids, with anybody going through anything, alcoholism, anorexia, sexual abuse, whatever it is that you go through, um, depression, I feel like you feel like you're the only one in the world going through that, which is not true. So yeah. by me saying, yo, I'm DMC. I always told you I was the mighty king of rock. I told you to walk this way in your Adidas and all that. Wear your glasses so you can see and all of that. I said, if I could share with people all the good stuff that I do, I could share with people about the bad stuff that I've been through. And I started realizing that just had, that had a greater effect than me telling you, DMC in a place to be, I go to St. John's University. Since kindergarten, I acquired the knowledge. After 12th grade, I went straight to college. So um, Ice-T once said, um, I have a good habit of making positivity gangster. Yeah. So that's what I decided to do. Yeah. You know what's interesting, too? And, and I think me and Dan have talked about this before. Look, we're both comedians, so we're uh, manic depressives in our own way, I'm sure. And it's always, sure. it is interesting to even hear... How like the only way to cope almost is to bring humor to the idea that when when you're yes. suicidal or feeling that close and that desperate, when you when people and you you do it too when you do the voice of the time you're almost making fun of yourself because it does in the yes. moment to you it seems it sounds so corny now you're like yeah. I was gonna do what I felt why did I feel so down it's fine <laughs> like, yeah, like right, exactly. fine. so you can't no, everybody... do it. It, it it's hard to talk about that hole you're in. Uh, it reflectively without kind of going like, and I was just there like, everything's so no, bad. I, was no, I mean, look, if you can laugh at it, you look back and say, yo, that, that's the reality of it. The, the, the laughter is not a disrespectful laughter. The laughter is the joy of truth. See, yeah. with anything that we all go through, if you remove guilt and shame, you remove the pain. 
So, yeah. you know, as comedians, I don't care. Look, comedians, artists, rappers, songwriters, singers, sculptors, finger painters, tap dancers, whatever it is, your artistic thing is the only thing that's real because the arts, your performance, your your your, your presentation, your your um your purpose, performance, and presentation. The art succeeds where politics and religion fails. So the things that y'all do, all the stuff that you comedians talk about, the reason why we laugh because we can relate to that shit. Course, you know what yeah. I'm saying? So if you're doing it on a record, if you're doing it on a painting, if you're doing it with a movie, a did play, you? I almost want. I almost want to ask that. Did you? Were you able? Do you think you always had kind of that depressive thing when you were younger, or did that? Did you think like chemically you changed as you got? So you did. Were you? Was that masked? How many things did you mask that with? Like when you guys got successful, you were young when you got successful uh, with Run DMC. Were you burying it in like everything from pussy to drugs to whatever, or were you were you still feeling it then? Did you were you able to like just kind of make it? it, Was it able to all go away for a couple years? No, it was it was always there. I was dealing with it successfully, not even thinking about it because you know I mean. I can talk really, really good now because after 35 years of being on stage, I'm not afraid no more. But I was this shy little kid growing up. Like I said, hip hop was my release. When I was yeah. r- right, when I would see Run and Russell, they was doing the hip hop because they loved it. But also, Run saw hip hop grow up in his living room. You know, yeah. Run was a professional rapper at 12 years old. He knew the business of radio and getting on records and said he knew me. I was writing my rhymes, not for none of y'all to hear. I was writing rhymes for me to hear. But I was just talking about who is Daryl. My name is Daryl McDaniels. I live in Queens or whatever. So I was dealing with it really good until the success of Raising Hell album. And what I mean by that was, like, people know Walk This Way isn't the first rock rap record. The first rock, it's a tongue twister. The first rock rap (laughs) record is Rock Box, which is the first rap video on MTV in 84. Then in 1985, we did King of Rock. I was just this little kid pretending, pretending to be the King of Rock, like Thor was the mighty Thor. But in 86, yeah. with the Adidas deal and the success of the Raising Hell album, I had everything necessary for me to, um, to survive and be productive in me here. Once I started living up to other people's expectations, yeah, not mine, I didn't have no expectations. Make a song, D, okay, I did, it was a hit. But once that kept happening, people that was on the outside expecting something because I can do that without even wanting anything was like, you need a hit record. You need to make money. You need to be on the radio. You need to tour. No, I don't need none of that bullshit. All I need to do is be happy. But because I started listening to that, I started depending on things outside of me to allow me to succeed and make it through the day. And that thing was alcohol. See, I never liked smoking weed because Run and Jay smoke more weed than God could probably grow on this beautiful earth, (laughs) more than Rastafarians. But I noticed that they were very messy. They were sloppy. They would always lose their passports and keys. And it was always sitting around like this. When I would drink the alcohol, it would make me feel like the Incredible Hulk. You know what I'm saying? And the truth serum would roll out. So with, with the joy of just creativity with with like with with no ultimate I was I was I wasn't making my records to sell records. I was making my records to release 
those emotions that I was subconsciously dealing with in my creativity. But then it went to the point, I need to drink to be dope. You know, yeah. like when people say, man, you know, I need a little pick me up. No, you don't. No, you don't. Yeah. I, instead of expressing myself, when I went to rehab and therapy, I was diagnosed with suppressed emotions. My therapist said, D, you were using the alcohol to suppress the real emotions that you was feeling. So <laughs> By the way, after- sorry, looking at DJ Lou, just nod his head like he's in a meeting with you right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. But, but but that was the thing. when I when, when My thing was just turn the mic on. Just turn it on. Yeah. And I was just really good at it because it was fun to me. But then I started saying, you know, you start doubting yourself. What if I do my next rap and nobody likes it? What if I do my next rap and it don't go in the room? I can't deal with that. So I started drinking. It wasn't until I went to rehab and I realized that I don't need nothing. I just want to do it. You could just remember when you was a little kid, you came home from kindergarten with your finger painting and your mother or father, whoever was your guardian, would posted on the refrigerator like it was a work of art better than that's all i want yeah. that's all i want i don't need to, to you don't gotta pay me to rhyme like i'll come to your house right now and rhyme with you and you ain't gotta pay me you also you have, have you have a fantastic perspective or an interesting i should say perspective uh of a time like you were pretty much in the first generation of hip-hop artists that were dealing with like record I mean, record label now like the yeah. people know the people know how to like you know communicate with hip it, it probably doesn't sound quite as phony as it did but you must have had a hilarious stories of of just buttoned up oh, tight ass white people like trying to like relate to you in a meeting <laughs> must have just been a world of funny no no it's, it's just funny no we had black people trying to figure out what the hell we was doing people don't <laughs> know we look we was opening for marvin gay we was opening really? for parliament funkadelic Wow. We was opening for the Gap Band. We was opening for Compunction, and they would just give us five. They would they would give us five five feet of space on the big gigantic stage, and they called the thing that we was doing just they was playing records. They was playing <laughs> records, but the wrong thing to do even back then was put Run DMC on before your band, because oh, throw yeah. your hands in the air. No, it got Who so did- bad that. They kicked us off tours because we was busting their ass <laughs> every you, night for this. Do you remember specifically any bands that you buried that they were like, you know, the first show you guys kill it, second show they're like, hey guys, we need you to stop. You're making the us gap, look the, No, the, the Gap Band. Really? Charlie, oh. Charlie, Charlie Wilson in them. And you know, they had hits. Yeah. They had yeah. hits. Look, it, it, the funny story about that is we was opening because um, we was opening um, for the Gap Band. So the first five shows... You should have seen it. When we walked in there, we was the cute little rappers that wouldn't be around in two years. Yeah. Because they they thought hip-hop was going to die like disco. So the first five shows was, hey, guys, how you doing? You could come in the VIP area. Here's the hot food over here. Here's the VIP dressing rooms. You could come on the buses. You'll you'll have all access. By the sixth show, your motherfuckers stay in this broom closet. You stay away from. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's such a, it, it it's such a weird uh, change of energy. I mean, what and what album yeah, are it, what, what album are you touring on when you're going out with them? Like, what songs King are? Of, this is King of Rock. This is King oh. of Rock. So you're doing like Rockbox so, and King of Rock. These songs yeah, are like so we, that's gonna thump a crowd. <laughs> it's correct, right? So nobody wanted to see the bass player after that. <laughs> <laughs> He's sweating so they, bullets. So they, so then a uh, big shout out to uh, um, the fat boys, Prince Marky D, who just passed away a little yeah. while ago. 
So our first big tour before Raising Hell was the Fresh Fest. It was Run DMC, the Fat Boys, and Curtis Blow. That was the first big tour before Raising Hell that put us in the Coliseums. You know what I'm saying? We was playing the we was playing the Summit in um the Summit in Houston. We was playing all the arenas with Damn. the Fat Boys coming out serving and. You know, and still in there, we still didn't know what we was doing. We was just happy that we wasn't on the block rapping no more. Now we yeah. didn't matter. When, when you guys, doing it. when you guys would go uh, out west in those days, there was nothing. There was, was there any kind of like gripe between like the east and west then? Oh no, no, went? no! It was, it was, it was no gripe. Every time Run DMC would show up, even during the East Coast West Coast beef, all the beefing would stop. Really? That's yeah. one thing. See, people don't know. Um, you can't judge a successful hip hop career by what you've done in the music business. I mean, it has yeah. a lot to do with you sell your records and this and that. You know, y'all know what the Beastie Boys and Run DMC and PE meant. It wasn't just about this bullshit entertainment industry, which sure. is cheesy and worthless. And you know, what's that 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 saying of the guy in the great book? It's a backstabbing. A motherfucking low life, conniving ass, wrong people, motherfucking, and that's just the good part of it. Yeah, what we was doing had nothing to do with that. We was changing lives. I mean, communities would change when a raising hell tour would come through because you know when you when you look at our generation of hip hop, it was the, it was the BC Boys and Run DMC and LL Cool J and Public Enemy and EPM. You had whether you was white, black, Puerto Rican, German, or Russian. You had such a powerful representation. When you saw our generation of hip hop, you didn't see celebrity and for yeah. you saw yourself. So you gotta understand what we was doing was something that 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 can be done now, but none of the artists themselves, and it's like this isn't about censorship and freedom of speech, but as a hip hop artist, somebody says I'm down and I do this hip hop music, showbiz is second. The first thing to your priority is responsibility. Even though, you know, Run DMC, we cursed on three or four records, you know what I'm saying? And even the guys that were bluntly in your face with social conditions and political stuff like that, our thing was to bring people together. Now, and what I'm talking about is in the beginning, you know what I'm saying? There was a lot of black people at, at a public enemy concert. Mm-hmm. Now, if you go to PE concerts, more white people at a public enemy concert than black people because the black people are such assholes. Oh, we don't want to hear Chuck. We don't want to hear that positivity stuff. See, we negativity is now being used as a false sense of power. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Run DMC, Tribe Court Crest, Eric B and Rakim, Cypress Hill. We shut down all that negativity stuff. You know what I'm saying? So it was what we was doing. I'm not mad at what rappers do today. Mumble all the fuck you want. I, I, don't, I don't have a problem with you mumbling. See, the OGs is not mad at what rappers do. We're mad at what they don't do. Yeah. They don't use their positions to bring people. When Steven Tyler knocked down that wall in the Walk This Way video, people, I'm talking about globally. Yo, DMC, that didn't just happen in the video. That happened in the world. So when we saw that type of stuff going on, we knew we, we had a responsibility. The bar and level in hip hop is this high. Nobody has touched it again since the age of those ones that made the level that run. Now everybody's just doing 
We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton, for the stay. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, you got a, you got a lot what, of motherfuckers rapping. Everybody rapping now. Something very, very interesting, too, that if you think about like how political the world has gotten, uh, one of my favorite tours ever, I think I saw you guys twice on it, was when it was uh, you guys... Uh, it was Run DMC, Kid Rock, and Aerosmith. Yep. You guys are doing an amphitheater tour, and uh, yeah, I went to it that? twice. It was uh, one of the cools. The way uh, the way Kid Rock would come on from your guys' set, like seamlessly, I thought was one of the coolest stage things I've ever seen. But think about politically how much everyone's like aligns with everything. How could that concert? I, I feel like today it's like how would that concert even happen? Like the audience would be turning on each other, and when in that concert, no way, no way, all, it, no, I don't think so. I it's all the same happened. people. I feel like, but no one talked. About, everyone was just getting along with music that night. The Who audience, cares? yeah, the audience will think they will turn on it, it, each other. The problem is nobody's doing it. Nobody is creating scenarios to get those people in the same place. A powerful thing happened when Obama first won. I was in I was in Boston doing this event. Um, I was in a Boston doing this event where um, it was me and a bunch of other people, and we were reciting um, famous political literature. So it was my job to read "Fight the Power" by Public Enemy. And, and um, in Boston, that's bold. Yeah, yeah, it was in Boston, <laughs> and it was Danny Glover reading something from you know Frederick Douglass, and it, you know so what, but. When Obama, it was around when Obama won. When I left the theater and I'm walking through Boston, it was black kids and white kids and Asian kids coming up to me saying, yo, DMC, we did it. We did it. And all my Jewish friends is calling me. One of my good friends is Jesse Itzler, this Jewish billionaire mogul dude who invents everything and runs um, 100,000 miles in a day. He calls me, yo, D, we did it. We had a spirit, a representation Run DMC and the Beastie Boys. What, what I mean by that, you said the Kid Rock Run DMC Aerosmith tour. Imagine what people thought when Run DMC was touring the world with the Beastie Boys. There's yeah. no way in the world these white yeah. Jewish kids is going to get with these black hip hoppers. It was one of the greatest things that ever happened. The problem now is hip hop and a lot of our music, except for the artists that do it in the damn stupid radio stations don't play the music, Hip-hop is soft. Remember, there was an era when punk, rock, and hip-hop, whatever happened in the week, we would address it before CNN. We would yeah. address it before Fox News. We would address it before ABC, CBS, and NBC. I mean, we all of us. And even if we wasn't highly political, Run DMC, um, Tribe Core Quest, we would mention it in our songs. Now, these so-called badass 
thugged out hip hoppers, they stay away like a bunch of suckers. Like hip hop has become so, they punks. And I don't mean punk in a good way, like punk rock band, like yeah. like like my boys, um, Tim, um, Tim, Tim, and, and Rancid and them. They punks because they don't address the issues that is necessary for the survival of their audience. There's no responsibility to the audience. You can do what you do to sell your music, but it's what generation that- do you think that stopped? What was, oh, like, what, was the, what was the last era of that kind of of like uh, music? I would I, wow. I would say. Probably two, uh, two. Well, see, I can't say it went away. Public Enemy put out one of the greatest albums last year and didn't get a nomination for the Grammys or the American Music Awards. Their last album was phenomenal, but I think it stopped at the beginning of um, probably at the beginning of gangster rap. And the reason why that is because not that gangster rap caused it. What happened with this is when when NWA first came out, they didn't look at um, the the political um, social relevance of NWA. They looked at the shocking controversy of it, and they also looked at whoa, that album said sold five million dollars. So if there was an individual coming like a third base, or coming like a naughty by nature, or even coming like a Will Smith. They would say, oh, we love your creativity. We love your innovation. We love your diversity. But could you be a little more like Ice Cube? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so if you're sitting there, if you're a new kid trying to get a rap deal, and they say, we're going to give you a million dollars if you do what Ice Cube is doing, what the hell are you going to do? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They, 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 MC Hammer tried. Like, MC Hammer went hard. MC Hammer yeah. went hard right on now, his like, last single. Right, remember? And it was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, like <laughs> um, Hammer... When people said you dance too much and your pants are too big, he should have danced more and put on bigger pants. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I would have loved bigger pants. That would have been crazy. You know, involved. like Run DMC, when we when we first came out, we did Rockbox. And Rockbox is the first thing on, on MTV. So that was 84. In 1985, check this out. When we got inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2009, they all called me over, the board and everybody called me over. DMC, we need to tell you something. I was like, what? It was like, run DMC, you guys are prophetic. And I was like, what are you talking about? We don't do spiritual, religious gospel. He said, no, no, you guys are prophetic. And I said, okay, why are you saying that? They said in 1985, you guys did a video called The King of Rock with Larry Bud Melman from the David Letterman Show <laughs> at the front door of a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame denying your entry into the facility. I'm, and um, Larry Bob Melman goes, you guys can't come in here. This is a rock and roll museum. And I scream, I'm the king. So me and Ron, we run in the museum and we trash it. They said, you guys are prophetic. And I said, what do you mean? The Rock and Roll Hall of Fame didn't start till 86. Damn. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, you called I, it. Uh, you guys I made it like, up. What? You guys so, actually yeah, created yeah. the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah, duh. But see, I'm thinking, hold up. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame been around at least since the 50s. No, it yeah. didn't start. And here's a deeper story. So we do that in 85. Now, 1986, remember? His Majesty Prince was killing. Yeah. All in his, his, his purple magnificence. So every time we would travel, we would see Prince because he was killing with Purple Rain and he's killing with Raising Hell. So if it was LAX, Prince would be going and we'd be coming. Yeah. If we're JFK, Prince will be coming, we'll be going. So, hey, guys, what's up? So one day in 86, we walk into JFK, and here comes Prince in all of his magnificence. 
And instead of saying, yo, what's up, how you're doing? He just, he don't even look at us. He just points and goes, you guys are going to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame one day. And he keeps walking. So me running Jay stop and we go, what the fuck did he just say? What the hell? Like we had no idea. We didn't know that he 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 knew that this rock and roll all of fame thing was being formed. So yeah. the year it was formed, Prince prophesied that we was gonna be in it. But when he said it to us, we had no idea that we was gonna be in this thing. So yeah. don't our uh, Run DMC's journey was just a journey of um you know, we don't think we're the greatest to ever do it because it's, it's too many. You know, Jay-Z is not better than Melly Mel. You know what I'm saying? And, and Eminem is not better than Grandmaster Kaz, but Kaz is not better than Jay-Z. So to make it all relevant, I think the significance of what Run DMC does is we were the ones fortunate enough to become the face image, sound, feel, and style for a generation of young people globally because remember when we put out raising hell we put out that adidas record we went over to japan they didn't even know english in japan when we would get off the plane they would just have adidas suits on kangles and glasses like me and they would just go we're dmc and when we would look at them they would go That's communication That's, right there. Yeah. So you see that? The, they had to just the, be all those young, little those Asian girls had to be winging it at you guys. It was like two unicorns coming to town. Uh, I couldn't was, believe it, was, it. It was the craziest thing ever. I mean, you know, and the whole yes, we lived the sex, drugs, and rock and roll life. But I think what's was significant about Run DMC, we had to be responsible. We didn't put none of those concepts on the records. Sure. You know what I'm saying? We didn't put, you know, like I said, we only cursed on one or two records and stuff like that. But I think it's more powerful to make a whole song without cursing than to use a song with cursing, making people think you're tough shit. Sure. No, that, that you know, what's funny is, um, I was such a fan. My stepbrothers, when I was very young, showed me Crush Groove, and I loved it. It's one of those memorized every word of the movie movies for me, and love. Remember it. LL? Remember when LL came out? I do. Yeah, absolutely. With the box that was his walks debut in. and all of that. Yeah, because he wouldn't box. take no for an answer. Remember that? Oh um, yeah, oh yeah. But but I saw that, and then my mom, when she started dating my stepfather, it was uh-huh. such a funny thing. Uh, very early in their dating relationship, we were all going to go to a movie one night. And they were in a fight. They were clearly in an argument. Right. And uh, they definitely didn't want to go into a movie, so they go, uh, they go, here, you go see the movie. I forget what I was supposed to go see, and they just wanted to stay in the lobby and finish their argument. So I went in to see Tougher Than Leather, and I was like 10. <laughs> and I was, like, it's the cr- than I was like, it's the Crush Groove, people. <laughs> and then like, mm-hmm. all I remember for sure is uh, Rick Rubin getting shot between the eyes at one point in the movie. And I was just 10 years old. Like, I don't think I'm supposed to be in here. <laughs> you ain't supposed to see that. And you know, Rick Rubin directed that movie. Yeah, no, no. I've seen it uh, many times since, but it was so funny that, that being that young and just going like, I'm going to go see the Run DMC movie because that's cool. That <laughs> it was is like, so cool. Yeah, it was a cool thing to do. And that's like a cult class. We, the Tougher the Level was funny because remember we had did Crush Groove. Crush Groove was done by um, Michael Schultz where it did Car Wash. Mm-hmm. So we took it upon us. And this is early in the game. We we're going to do our own movie. But I mean, I guess for us, anything was possible. We didn't really like the movies. The movies was like doing one long video shoot. Yo, can I go home now? They wouldn't let you go home. You gotta, no, you gotta stay here and do your parts. 
Because with a video, you come, you do the video shoot, and you can just leave and go out to party or whatever. I mean, you but were so the same, Daryl. I hate being around all day waiting to ask. <laughs> yeah, sucks. what the, it sucks, right? It sucks. Like, I don't like they, it. They should change yeah, the rules. No, when it's not that whatever. bad. If you got some good well, snacks, you can have a nice, you know, nice yeah, dressing yeah, room. It's actually, you know, people are nice to hang out with. So, yeah. Now, Dan's on a show that's right true. now, so he's got to say this. But I'm telling you, you're right, <laughs> and Dan knows it. It sucks. No, it sucks. It's it blows all ma- it blows day major. long. It blows major your ass it's yeah, a five people, minutes yeah. of a thing people see the result they don't see the process <laughs> yeah it sucks no it definitely sucks it's like 16 hours of just bullshit and waiting for maybe 45 minutes of total work and, and then what they, like they say the magic's all in the editing yeah yeah you you're not even there when they make it you, exactly. run, D, run dmc is never going to be not cool no matter what it's true and uh daryl dmc mcdaniels and of course your partner sheila jaffe are yes. hosting the Felix Organization's Walk This Way during National Foster Care Month on May 9th in New York City. Uh, the socially distanced historic Mother's Day March celebrates 15 years of spreading love after 15 months of quarantine. Go to the FelixOrganization.org for general charity information. And for info on the Walkathon, visit WalkThisWayForKids.org. That's WalkThisWayForKids.org. We have a great audience uh, here, Daryl, that, that will support stuff like this. And they, uh, Thank you. They really are amazing when it comes to to charitable stuff. And in the two times I've gotten to to talk with you, it's always a pleasure. And, I mean, uh, you bring such a good energy to the show, man. Thank you so much for everything you do. Thank you for your catalog of music and happiness you brought all of us. And uh, That's an amazing organization, really. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank Very you. excited Thank to you. promote this. And we'll, uh, we'll have to have you. people like you. Thank you. We'll have to have you back again real soon, everybody. Daryl DMC McDaniels. You've been listening to Sirius XM's Bonfire. New episodes every Tuesday through Friday mornings and full shows always on Sirius XM. We've seen all the video call fails by now. The mute button mishaps, the cat cameos, people not realizing the camera's on when their pants are off. But none of this makes Fred feel any better about giving an entire sales pitch, mistakenly using a filter that turns him into an itsy-bitsy baby duck. How do I turn this thing off? It's too late, Fred. It's too late. When you realize it's better to do business in person, it matters where you stay. Welcome to the Hilton Garden Inn, Fred. The meeting room is right down the hall. Hilton. For the stay. At Metro, get an iPhone 12 with 5G and a dual camera system for $99.99. Take amazing pictures and share them instantly. And don't put up with life's yada yada. Yada yada. Like photo bombers. Zoom, crop out, yada yada. And bye. You don't take yada yada in life. Don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Get iPhone 12 with 5G with no activation fees and nada yada yada. Only at Metro by T-Mobile. Switch Metro, bring your ID. This offer isn't available for customers currently at T-Mobile or that have been with Metro in the past 180 days.